My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Do you, by any chance, remember the Infrastructure Week jokes? Since it's Infrastructure Week, I'm wondering if the president... uh... (laughs) Is it Infrastructure Week? So this was the gag. A couple of times every year, while he was president, the Trump administration would declare it to be Infrastructure Week promising to focus on America's crumbling roads and bridges and pipes. And every single time they did this, the president would then do something outrageous or a new incriminating story would break, and everyone would completely forget about infrastructure. And then Donald Trump left office, and lo and behold, it was finally, really, Infrastructure Week. After years and years of Infrastructure Week, We're on the cusp of an infrastructure decade that I truly believe will transform America. Okay, so that's all hilarious to look back on now. But would it shock you to learn that we have our own Canadian equivalent of Infrastructure Week? It's less funny, but it is more frustrating. Our government is launching a $10 billion infrastructure plan to build stronger, healthier communities while helping Canadians get back to work. In fact, this plan alone will create about 60,000 jobs right across the country. That clip was Justin Trudeau in 2020. By early 2021, the government was locked into a 12-year plan to spend $180 billion on infrastructure. We are still locked into that plan. But before we could make most of these investments we needed an assessment to figure out where the best place was to put all that cash. So government did what it always does well in this country. We began by starting a consultation on how to do that assessment. At some point, there were roundtable discussions and written submissions and a report summarizing those discussions and submissions, and you get the idea. So... Here we are. It's early 2024. We are in our own recurring infrastructure week. The story of how we got here is both infuriating and enlightening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. David Reevely is an Ottawa-based reporter for The Logic. Hello, David. Hey, Jordan. Let's start with this, since it'll be what the discussion focuses on. What do we know right now about the state of Canada's infrastructure in general? Well, in general, the state of Canada's infrastructure is okay. There's new stuff, uh, there's medium stuff, and there's, there's old stuff that needs replacing and upgrading. But I think the big concerns are twofold. One is that we are not improving the old stuff quickly enough. And particularly, the second thing is that we are not 
necessarily ready for the effects of climate change. Right. So we have uh, roads and bridges and pipes and and you know transit lines and public buildings and whatnot that were built for certain assumptions about the weather, yeah, you know, the heat, the amount of rain we would get, snowfall, that kind of thing. And those assumptions are no longer operative, and uh, we have a lot of work to do. So before we get to that work, what exactly is the federal government's plan to tackle that? It doesn't have one. It has a lot of ideas and big programs and a lot of, of spending, for sure. I'm being a big glib, but but there is no plan, nothing that you would say, okay, here is the list of priorities, here's how we're going to tackle them, here is where the money is going to come from, and here is where it's going to go on what schedule. That is not how the federal government or really provincial governments have ever done this kind of work. And the idea of a national infrastructure assessment was to, is to still, I guess, to try to change that, to create a coherent plan for building what we need, when we need it, where we need it, fixing up the stuff that needs fixing up, upgrading the stuff that needs upgrading, and and paying for it on some kind of a, a coherent schedule that actually looks ahead more than a couple of years. So take me back to, I guess it was 2021, and at the time, Catherine McKenna would have been the minister responsible. Where did the idea of a national assessment come from, and, and what did they plan to do? Catherine McKenna was definitely the driving force behind it, and uh, she had been the Minister of Environment and Climate Change in the first Trudeau government term, and then she was moved to infrastructure, and uh, she saw that as essentially a climate portfolio as well, because she was concerned as someone who was deeply concerned about climate change. She was concerned about the readiness of Canadian infrastructure for it. And to come up with a plan for what we're going to do when and with what money, we first needed a national list of what we had and what state it was in. And it's not that, you know, we have necessarily trillions of dollars worth of infrastructure in this country that nobody knows what state it's in. But a lot of that information is held by local authorities, municipalities, provincial governments, territorial governments, First Nations, you know, hospital boards and school boards and so on. And it does not come together into one central place where anybody can kind of look at it and figure out, okay, here's what we need to do in Ontario or the regions of Ontario. Here's what we need to do in British Columbia and Alberta, Manitoba, Prince Edward Island, you name it. Right. And so the idea was to take stock and then we would know where we stood and then we could decide what to do something about it. So we decided on a comprehensive assessment in 2021. It's been, I was going to say two years. Uh, we're in 2024 now. We're closing in on three years. Where's the process at? Well, yeah, this began in earnest nearly three years ago, sort of late winter, early spring 2021. And I think McKenna felt some urgency on it because I don't think she, I think she knew at the time she was not planning to run again. The 2021 election was not scheduled, but yeah, it was sort of in the air, and I think she wanted to get this thing going. So that with a lot of fanfare, she and the federal government announced that they're, they were going to do a bunch of consultations to figure out how we should do this assessment. And so uh, that kicked off a process that lasted a few months from something like March to June, where they took like 300 submissions and and had roundtables and whatnot with like 150 organizations, municipal governments, associations, companies that build stuff, companies that maintain stuff, high-tech companies that have like monitoring solutions for what the state of your pipes are so you don't have to you know send somebody in to, to go look at every inch of them, et cetera, et cetera. 
And that process culminated in, actually, it was pretty quick, in just a few months, in a big, you know, what we heard report that just was, yeah, we need to do this. And there should be an, like an independent commission that is responsible for not just doing this, this assessment in the first place, but maintaining it, you know, renewing it every few years and coming up with a plan for the work that would be done arising out of it. That came out end of July 2021, and almost nothing has happened since. They hired a, a sort of think tank at the University of Ottawa, actually run by Kevin Page, the former, highly respected former parliamentary budget officer, to uh, look at how other countries that do this, and you know, the UK, Australia, New Zealand, there are there are like peer countries that that have examples for us to follow. They filed that report, great big doorstopper of a thing. And since then, truly nothing visible has happened on it in two and a half years. You just talked an awful lot about people talking an awful lot and, you know, phrases like stakeholders, reports, commission, experts. All of that is one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you about this today because of your reporting on it for The Logic, but also just because you cover Ottawa. And we can talk a bit about how this federal government tackles things. And uh, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to read you a a quote that you'll be familiar with because you included it in your article. And I would like you to tell me uh, on a scale of one to 10, how incredibly Canadian government this is. (laughs) Sure. This is the quote. Since completing public engagement with stakeholders and launching our engagement paper on the country's first such assessment in July 2021, we have been doing preparatory work to establish an advisory body to develop the assessment. That's a that's like a 7.5 to 8 out of 10 on a <laughs> Canadian government scale, I would say. I think what is surprising about this is this thing actually seemed to have some momentum. That, you know, you, you, you want to do something big. It is sort of boring and tedious, but I think reasonable and necessary to go out and ask the public and, you know, God help me for using this word, stakeholders, right? how they think you should do it. Like, you know, that's, that's dull, but important. And this thing moved through the process fairly quickly, came to the conclusion there should be a commission of like experts and people who will oversee this, this process because this is what they do in those peer countries I, I mentioned, in Britain, in Australia, in New Zealand. And you name those people and uh, you get them going. And that second part did not happen. We are still waiting for a commission to be named that will then be in charge of doing the actual work. Do you know why it's taken so long for us to name this commission? Have we gotten any answers from the government when you you tried to report this out of like, okay, that was two and a half years ago. Where's the commission? I mean, the the answer is is in the the quote that you gave, or the answer I got is in the quote that you gave, which is <laughs> the answer is not in that quote. <laughs> the response, the reply, there it was. They've been they've been you know checking in on on these other countries and their examples and trying to learn from them. I don't have reporting that bears this out. My strong suspicion is that once McKenna left the government, the momentum was lost. Keeping this going was in the the mandate letter for Dominic LeBlanc, who was named Minister of Infrastructure after the 21 election. And that's still the the mandate letter that Sean Fraser, who's the new minister, uh, is operating under. But I think, you know, McKenna, Catherine McKenna thought this was really important. 
I don't know that Dominic LeBlanc thought that it was really important. Sean Fraser may think so, uh, but he is busy fixing housing. And that is a certainly a much, I mean, that's a, that is a huge problem and one that I think is of more immediate political importance to the government than fixing the roads and bridges, which matters a lot and particularly will once they start you know, falling down and being washed away. That's when we'll take care of it. That's when we'll take care of it, which is kind of like the problem that this whole thing, this infrastructure assessment was supposed to avert, which is that we only fix things once they break. And that's not just like a bad way of, of living your life. It's also expensive. Ideally, you first build them better in the, in the first place, build them to suit the conditions. But when conditions change, you try to get ahead of the disaster before your rail lines are washed out and the, the port of Vancouver is cut off. Or before, you know, this happened a few years ago, the Trans-Canada Highway is cut in northern Ontario or what, you know, whatever it might be before, before you patch the roof before it leaks. And we are not moving on patching the roof before it leaks at this point. My name is John Cullen, and I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and curling. It's the story of Broomgate, how a single broom, yes, a broom, turned friends into foes and almost killed the 500-year-old sport of curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate, available now. To give the government and the ministry uh, a little bit of the benefit of the doubt, could you maybe give us a sense of the scale of the assessment that's required here and and if and why it would need to be carefully prepared before being undertaken? It is massive. You know, I rhymed off a bunch of the things that count as as infrastructure, but the list is is functionally endless. And I guess this would be one of the questions is what do you include on this list? But it, it could include, in theory, every road in Canada, you know, paved, gravel, whatever it might be, every, every transit line, every public pipe, every public building, every library, every hospital, every, every you know, city hall, town hall, you name it, ports and seaports and airports and, and uh, canals and like just anything that the government either owns or helps pay for. And compiling information about all these things that is held by, first of all, hundreds and hundreds of different governments across the land, some arm's length government agencies like hospital boards, some territorial governments, First Nations, like they all have their own systems for tracking this stuff. Some of which I am sure in some places is on paper. Like it's not even like there's a standard database they all use. So I mean, it's not an easy job, but you know, the best time to do it is 10 years ago, and the second best time is right now. Are there organizations, companies, experts out there ready right now if the government was to get moving on this? I know we're waiting for a commission to assess all of this, but is it a case of the government actually needing to create a way to do this, or is there a way to do this out there right now and we're letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, to, to put it that way, maybe? I have no doubt that there are any number of consulting companies that would be delighted to provide their services to compile this information. I think in practice, you can't hire anyone to do this. You can't staff up unless you've got the people who are going to be in charge. And that means deciding that you're going to have a commission. It's going to have 
three members, five members, 11 members, whatever, with some of your regional representation. But I mean, it's not like we don't have any of these in this country. Yeah, you know, there are port authorities. There's, you know, here in Ottawa, there's the National Capital Commission, there's people from across the country. There's any number of advisory boards and and God knows what. Like, this is something that the governments are good at. I am sure you could find, you know, a couple of private sector experts, a couple of professors, uh, a couple of former provincial infrastructure ministers. I don't know, I'll put Catherine McKenna in charge, but if she wants to do it. But get the thing going and not getting the thing going is the the thing that is somewhat mysterious to me because no pro it's not that progress is slow it's that progress is non-existent in terms of being realistic about the timelines for this kind of stuff even forgetting about let's just say for the moment the couple of years that this has kind of just been sitting there given the scale you've just described and where we are in the election cycle. I mean, we've heard that there potentially could be maybe an election this year. At the very least, there will be an election next year. Given uh, the timeline infrastructure projects usually require, and the fact that I guess, as, as you've probably seen, the latest polls have the liberals down by 15, 17 points. Is there any hope that anything moves on this file uh, unless uh, potentially the conservatives want to step up if they replace the liberals? I would think so. This does not strike me as politically a particularly controversial thing. This is not, you know, even as as politically controversial as as public dental care or pharmacare would be just doing the assessment is not that expensive. The UK version of of an infrastructure commission has a mandate to report once a parliament. So they they do this approximately every four to five years. I don't know how they handle minority governments when parliaments are short. New Zealand reports every couple of years. Uh, they But they also sort of have this pipeline, so to speak, of reports, you know, the the status of, of water treatment infrastructure, the status of key transportation infrastructure, the reports on how well New Zealand builds stuff versus other countries, what it costs to... And like, they're really... Interesting stuff if you care about the roads you drive on and the cleanliness of the water you drink, and everybody should. It's it's boring, but it's it's incredibly important. And we do spend gobs of money on this stuff. And you know, the the federal government has a well, the number changes with every budget, but it's a, like a hundred and eighty billion dollar twelve year infrastructure program. That's what the liberals are spending. It's more than the last conservative government spent, but it's kind of in the same ballpark. You know, they they were spending well over $10 billion a year on on these things too. It's not like we're going to start to spend the money. You know, do we have the money? Do we not have the money? We're spending it. The question is, are we spending it in a way that makes sense and actually gets us, you know, stuff that is going to last for, depending what it is, 15 years, 20 years, 50 years. And that seems like a no-brainer to me. I read you the quote earlier, somewhat joking, but obviously mostly not. We've talked about a lot of government issues uh, on this program. And I guess my question for you as somebody who who covers Ottawa and covers this government is, is this kind of plotting, methodical, committee-based, consultation-based approach unique to this government or do they get a bad rap because they kind of communicate it poorly like they did in the example that I read? I think... Where this government tends to get in, into trouble, actually, and this is a really good example of it, is they announce they're going to do something. And then that is where the effort begins to trail off, is after announcing they are going to do something. 
So I wouldn't say that this liberal government does particularly get bogged down in consultations and thinking about stuff. It's almost that they, you know, getting bogged down suggests active forward movement that doesn't have, yeah, that isn't being done very efficiently. But, you know, the announcement is the, is the policy. The announcement is the act. And then it's the follow through that they have often not been good at. And I think this is a, a, an excellent illustration of it. You know, they're, they're, you know, when a minister, a particular minister was driving it, they actually had some real forward momentum. And then they just kind of lost interest in it. And it's, it's not happening. And the result is, and this is a key point, you know, we spend all this money, but the way these, these programs work is, and, you know, these, and the, the, the money buys stuff for sure. But the way these programs work is the feds put up X number of billions of dollars and then invite proponents, whether those be municipalities or, or whatever, to apply for the money. And then they apply for the money and then the money, you know, they, the, the feds pick the most worthy projects and out it goes. And that gets stuff built, but it doesn't get stuff built in like an orderly way. It gets, you know, it's very responsive. It is not looking ahead and doing the dull work of coming up with the plan is hard and, you know, not flashy, but you end up with a better country at the end of it. And, you know, I can see not being interested in it, like at a political level, but if you want a better country, this is the kind of boring work that you've got to do. In the absence of this assessment, which, I mean, even best case scenario, won't be ready for a couple of years, what do people who are deep into infrastructure say about what our priorities should be anyway? You mentioned we're still spending this money now. Uh, what do we need to focus on? I, I do think climate adaptation is the big thing. And it is, in some ways, it's unsatisfying because you know building a, you know, a more resilient bridge does not lead to you know terrific ribbon cutting things. No, you know, look at this at this this new bridge that you know will you can say make traffic better and so on. You know, reinforcing the struts on a bridge you've already got so that when the river is higher, uh, the bridge is not washed away. I mean, it's great, but it is not. I don't know how many votes it wins, and I think that's why this stuff is difficult. But I think that is the point of the infrastructure assessment and then the plan that would follow it is it gives you the to-do list and then you can start ticking things off because heaven knows, you know, it might be boring to say like, hey, look at the new better struts on the bridge, but... But when it doesn't collapse, you'll be grateful. Yeah, watching the thing float away on the, on the, on the river in the middle of the flood, that, that is definitely not a vote winner. You've mentioned a couple of times uh, the UK and New Zealand as peer countries we can look to uh, in terms of how to build an assessment and keep it going. Are there peer countries we can look to that are leading on the actual implementation of infrastructure stuff? Oh, that's a that's a really good question. I think there are European countries that have kind of been confronting the realities of climate change a little more rapidly than we have. I mean, I, I think really dry summer a couple of years ago, the the water level in the Rhine River in Germany was so low that they it affected shipping, and there was concern that it could be. Yeah, you know, there people were, were watching that really, really close. You know, ships that typically go up barges that go up and down carrying stuff to Europe's industrial hardland briefly disrupted. The fear was it was going to be a, a heck of a lot worse. 
I think that has a way of concentrating the mind. And what we have generally seen in Canada on that front has been more in the way of so wildfire destruction and you know, people who live in floodplains being flooded out, which is awful. But if you don't happen to live in a floodplain, it doesn't affect you as much. But I think you know when we saw the the port of Vancouver cut off by those atmospheric rivers and the the mudslides and and then the fires, that is the sort of thing that ought to be focusing our minds here for sure. And building redundancy and building the you know, additional lines and, and so on. Again, not super sexy, but really necessary. And if we don't do it, I, I think it's pretty clear that we're, we're going to regret it very badly. Do you remember the ongoing joke from Donald Trump's first term where they would announce that it was going to be infrastructure week and then Trump would say or do something so nuts that infrastructure would completely be forgotten and we'd move on until the next infrastructure week? You remember that? Oh, yeah. Time and time and time again. Is this our version of infrastructure week where we say <laughs> it's going to be infrastructure week and then we just don't do anything except make a report? Well, we're not even saying it's infrastructure week. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we, it was, we said it two and a half, three and a half years ago. Yeah, and then kind of stopped saying it. You know, Trump, at least his people kept saying, you know, we're going to take back control of the public agenda before the boss goes off his nut again and, and talk about infrastructure week and building the things that people want to see. And here, yeah, we're not even saying this is going to be infrastructure week. So we're not doing it. Well, now that's an even more depressing answer that I was expecting. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> David, thank you so much for this. Um, I, like you said, you know, it's uh, it can seem like a boring topic, but so absolutely critical and oh, to become more so, uh, for sure. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me. David Reevely reports for The Logic out of Ottawa. That was The Big Story. For more big stories, you can find them on our website, thebigstorypodcast.ca. You could also just scroll down in whatever podcast player you were in, or you could ask your smart speaker to play you another episode of this podcast. If you want to send us any ideas for a future episode or any feedback on this or any other one you've heard, the email address is hello at thebigstorypodcast.ca and the phone number to leave us a voicemail is 416-935-5935. If you get the chance... We would love you to rate or review or share this show with anyone you think could use it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.